Uh, and then 2020 comes along and suddenly he goes and he votes for Joe Biden. I know <laughs> that's what we said. Like, what in the world is going on here? Uh, so obviously emergency family meeting. And uh, <laughs> so what, what's going on with grandpa? So we discussed and, and we all agreed that this never would have happened if grandpa was still alive. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber. I'm Amber Archer, co-host of this show, and flying solo today as I introduce to you a recent keynote address by our good friend and contributing cast member of our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters, Mr. Alex Newman. It was great for us to be together again over the weekend as Alex was recently the keynote speaker at the Purple for Parents second annual conference in Noblesville, Indiana. For those of you who aren't familiar with his work, Alex Newman is an award-winning international journalist, educator, author, and consultant. He has written for a wide array of publications in the United States and abroad. He currently serves as a contributor to the Epoch Times, World Net Daily, Freedom Project Media, The New American Magazine, and Law Enforcement Intelligence Brief, and more. Alex is a frequent speaker at conferences and guest on national and international radio and TV programs and has been on many of America's most popular shows altogether, reaching tens of millions of people with the message of faith, family, and freedom. Listen in as Alex shares his presentation, Get Them Out. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. It's, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be in Indiana again. Uh, really glad you guys could make it out. And I want to start with a strange story without getting too political. You, you guys probably have a family member like this. We have our grandpa. And he's one of those guys, every election comes around and he just goes and votes Republican. It, you know, he doesn't have to research the candidates or find out where people stand on what. He just goes and votes for Republicans every time. Uh, and it's been like that for as long as any of us can remember. Uh, and then 2020 comes along and suddenly he goes and he votes for Joe Biden. I know. That's what we said. Like, what in the world is going on here? Uh, so obviously emergency family meeting. And uh, <laughs> so what, what's going on with grandpa? So we discussed and, and we all agreed that this never would have happened if grandpa was still alive. <laughs> um, so and I mean, the, the truth is they stole the election. That's just a fact. But uh, the even more uncomfortable truth is that in a generation, they're not going to have to steal elections anymore. They have our kids. Okay, here's the polling data. My generation, so-called millennials, and that's always terribly embarrassing to admit because everybody knows then or at least assumes that you're a dummy. But uh, 70% of us are self-described socialists. Imagine that. We just woke up one day and said, hey, we like socialism. Viva la revolución. Right? No. Okay, this was engineered. This was orchestrated. Uh, on the religious front, we went from being a country with about 99.5% Christian during the founding era to now millennials are the first generation in American history where Christians are in the minority, okay, among millennials. And so give it a generation or two and Christian, you guys remember what Obama said? Whatever we once were, we're no longer a Christian nation. And I hate to agree with Obama, but uh, that's where we're headed, folks. This again was engineered. I'm going to show you how they did this. Uh, they actually used the Hitler strategy. And I know that that's overused. Well, you're being Adolf Hitler. And we know that's overused, but you know, everybody thinks of Hitler's strategy to build his crazy thousand year Reich. And they think of his tanks and his Luftwaffe and his, his strong military and his chemical companies. But there was a much more important part that gets over look not by the totalitarians but by average people and you know speaking of socialists they don't tell the kids anymore that adolf hitler was the leader of the national socialist party there's a reason for that they want people to think that hitler was a conservative christian like american republicans but um hitler's strategy really the the core of it was to brainwash the youth he wanted to drive a wedge between parents and their children and interrupt that transmission belt where values and, and traditions and culture and religious beliefs are passed on from one generation to the next so he criminalized. He became the first leader in all of human history to criminalize homeschooling. Said parents will hand their children over to me whether they like it or not. And then that wasn't enough. He said we have to have uh, after school programming. We got to get the children in the Hitler Jugend so they learn the wonders of the Reich and the race and all the rest of it. See, that was the central element of his strategy. The military component was only secondary. He knew that to win, and this is a true quote, it came up at the Nuremberg trials. If you want to own the future, you've got to have the youth. Okay? He understood that very well. And so do the totalitarians in Washington, D.C. right now and the ones at UNESCO. So this actually came out during the Obama administration. It's still policy today. Uh, it came out of the Department of Education and Health and Human Services. They said that parents could be equal partners with the government in the raising of their own children. And as you read the text of this policy document, you see very quickly they don't mean equal partner at all. You'll be the junior partner, provided you do what the other partner in this relationship says. And that means we need mandatory home visits to follow up. 
Uh, if you're not doing what you're supposed to, we need mandatory parenting classes to teach you how to do it properly. After all, they're our children, not yours. And uh, hey, we also need to, if, uh, if you continue refusing to do what we say, we're going to bring in the CPS. Okay. And they're dead serious about this, folks. Uh, this is Arnie Duncan. Uh, he spent seven years as the Secretary of Education during the uh, O'Biden government, uh, back when Obama was in charge. Uh, certain kids we should have 24-7 to really create a safe environment and give them a chance. Um, I think all of our schools should be community centers. Our schools should be open 12, 13, 14 hours a day with a wide variety of after school. Yeah, okay. So some kids, we need 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, you put a little mustache on and say it in a German accent and you get the picture. Uh, and then the rest of the kids, we need to have after school programming for them. We need 12, 13, 14 hours a day. We need full service community schools. And if you actually look in the text of the legislation that created these, they want to handle the dental health of your children, the mental health of your children, the nutritional needs of your children. They'll do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you behave yourself, maybe we'll let you do the good night stories and the good the uh, time for bed hugs. But that's it. Okay, that's the extent of parental involvement. They're really talking about replacing parents and having government step in its place. Uh, and they're fully out of the closet now. This just happened last week. Uh, this is actually your U.S. Senator, Mike Brown. Uh, he was talking to uh, Secretary of Miseducation, Miguel Cardona. And uh, listen to this little discussion here. Fairly quick answers here because I want to get to Secretary Becerra. Do you think parents should be in charge of their child's education as the primary stakeholder? I believe parents are important stakeholders, but I also believe primary. educators have a role in determining uh, educational programming. And I think that's going to be a little out of yeah, so it's when I heard that, I mean, even the question, it made me want to spit my coffee out of my mouth. What do you mean primary stakeholder? I'm not a stakeholder in the education of my children. I'm the boss. I'm in charge of it, period. If I choose to delegate a little bit of that responsibility to an employee, to an agent, whether that be a tutor or a private school or a co-op or whatever, I'm still in charge. I'm not a stakeholder. Okay, look up stakeholder in the, the uh, dictionary. It's somebody who has a stake in something, somebody who has an interest in something. This is not how this works, right? And yet this is the reigning ideology in Washington, D.C. today. You don't even get to be the primary stakeholder. You heard the Secretary of Miseducation. That was the question. Are parents primary stakeholders in the education of their children? Well, you know, they're important stakeholders. Okay. What kind of attitude is this? This is straight out of Nazi Germany, straight out of the Soviet Union. This is the hallmark of dictatorships, that the government runs the education and the upbringing of the children, not the parents. Uh, Hillary Clinton put this out there over two decades ago. It takes a village to raise the children. And if you read the book, you re it's not really a village. It's just a, a, an army of government bureaucrats and experts and PhDs and so on. So before we get into the specifics, I do want to show you guys that there is an ultimate agenda here. They talk about it openly. This is not happening in a vacuum. They have a plan. And, you know, we could watch these videos for a week, but I'll just we show you a few of them. before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of so nations. global law to govern nations. When we are successful, and, and we will be, because right. we have, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. So a lot there. We could talk about that for quite a while. But a world where we're going to use the U.N.'s peacekeeping role. He's talking about the U.N.'s troops with the blue helmets, uh, world famous for raping women and children. Uh, 60,000 estimates say uh, just in the last decade have been raped uh, women and children by these U.N. troops. So we're going to use these U.N. troops to bring about the vision of the U.N.'s founders. Now, that's a very revealing statement. We had our founders. They said God created a sequel. God gave us rights. We institute governments to protect these rights. Uh, the U.N. founders had a radically different point of view. Uh, it was after World War II, uh, Joseph Stalin, one of the worst butchers and barbarians to ever walk on this planet, sent his minion, uh, Mr. Molotov. That's the guy who signed the deal with Hitler. You enslave that half. We'll get this half and we can be friends. Uh, and then on our side, we sent Alger Hiss. Okay, he was representing supposedly the United States, and they really liked him. Uh, they made him the chairman of the conference that wrote the UN Charter. That should have been our first red flag. Then they made him into the first Secretary General of the United Nations. That should have been red flag number two. And then we threw him in prison because we found out he was a spy for Joseph Stalin. 
So those are the founders of the United Nations. Why in the world would we want to use the UN's peacekeeping troops to bring about the vision of the founders of the United Nations when the vision of our founders is so wonderful? And why wouldn't we have a discussion about this rather than just announce it on television? Right. Uh, and he was notice he was very confident that they're going to succeed. Right. When we are successful and we will be. Yeah. They've got 75 percent of our kids for five days a week for six or seven hours a day. Coming soon, 12 to 13 hours a day, if not 24 seven. OK. And this is not a, you know, not a dig at Republicans. Here's a President Bush kept said and it was phrase that I often use myself that we needed a new world order. All right. So Clinton agrees. Uh, here's the uh, current occupant of the White House. The affirmative task we have now is uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. So the swamp agrees on, on all the important things, right? They agree on a new world order. Uh, and, and if you want to understand the agenda here, and this applies too to what they're trying to teach in the public schools, uh, if you want to know the formula, you can find out where they're going to stand on any issue anytime. It's very simple. Take what the Bible teaches and go as far from that as you possibly can, preferably exactly backwards. So, uh, you know, we know that uh, God created marriage, right? It's between a man and a woman. So now they teach the kids that marriage is an old-fashioned institution. And anyway, marriage could be like three guys and a cat. I mean, you know, who are you to judge? That's what the Supreme Court said, right? Uh, God ordained that there should be private property. Thou shalt not steal. Well, now they teach the kids, ah, oh, well, you know, the, the resources are not fairly distributed. So you know, forget that thou not, shalt not steal. We're going to steal everything. But then we're going to redistribute it in a fair and equal way. So, you know, don't worry about all those silly commands. Um, and, and it goes on, right? I mean, and things that you wouldn't have even ever expected would be an issue. Five years ago, Right. What if I told you that there was more than two genders? You'd look at me like I had three heads. Now you're a bigot is what they're teaching our children. If you believe that God created the male and female. I mean, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see that. Right. Biology 101. It's every cell in your body testifies to the fact that you're either male or female. But that's not what they teach the kids. So uh, with that in mind. Uh, some of you might have heard of Agenda 21. Uh, it's a UN international agreement. And you'll see the Hitler strategy comes through loud and clear. But first, you know, if there's any people who watch CNN out there, you've probably heard Agenda 21 is a conspiracy theory by uh, right-wing extremists. Uh, yeah, that's what CNN says. And so just to, to be uh, clear, uh, it's not a theory. It's not even a conspiracy because a conspiracy requires secrecy. And this they're doing in the open. Uh, back to George Bush. Oh, well, we lost our video of Bush, but uh, he's the one who signed Agenda 21. And I normally have a video of him in there talking about how great Agenda 21 is. And uh, here's uh, the, the Earth Summit of the Environmental Party. Leadership Act, as this is known, presents us with an opportunity to follow up on the important work of the Earth Summit to develop its blueprint, Agenda 21, for envir global environmental action. HCON Res 353 outlines a comprehensive national strategy for sustainable development in accordance with the principles of Agenda 21. All right. So that's enough. Anyways, again, the swamp all agrees we need uh, Agenda 21. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, uh, this is the summary that the UN created. So you wouldn't have to read all hundreds of pages of the agreement, by the way, agreed by every government on the planet, every national government. They said it's an array of actions intended to be implemented by every person on Earth. And they said that effective execution is going to require a profound reorientation unlike anything the world has ever experienced. Uh, we're talking about huge changes here, right? And again, they're not going to ask you what you think. They're just going to do it. Uh, and their strategy, you, you guys remember that we were called the bitter clingers. Uh, Obama said that the, those bitter clingers, they're just clinging to their guns and their Bibles, right? So they knew we need a new strategy. We're never going to get the bitter clingers. We got to go for the kids. So if you go to chapter 36 of this agreement, they actually lay out the whole game plan. Education, they say, is critical for promoting this ideology of sustainable development. It's indispensable, they said, for changing people's attitudes. They say it's critical for giving kids the right attitudes, values, behaviors. It's got to include spiritual development. Hold that thought because we'll come back to it. And it needs to be integrated into all disciplines. Uh, I've actually got a copy of the UN's Agenda 21 book for children. It's produced by UNESCO. It's in my office. Um, and, and this is just one page that really rubbed me the wrong way. I've actually got five children now. Uh, the bio must have been a little bit old. We got our new baby in uh, January. So the UN would not be pleased with me. Uh, this is what they show in the children's edition of Agenda 21. You see the, uh, I think it's like Hindu deities, they're up on the clouds and they're very upset because uh, the storks are delivering all these babies. And then on the next page, they explain why, right? The earth groans every time it registers another birth. Imagine that. 
Okay, now we'll go back to the formula I gave you earlier. What did God say? The very first command was be fruitful and multiply. Okay, the very first thing he told humankind to do. Uh, and then he says, your children are a blessing. They're a heritage from the Lord. And so what do they teach our kids? Naturally, they teach our kids that Mother Earth is groaning every time you have another one of those pesky, useless eaters. Plus climate change, right? Goodness gracious. So uh, Agenda 2030 is the new and improved version of this. They signed it in 2015. And right in the preamble, they give it away. Your children are going to be the critical agents of change. They're going to build a, a better world using these goals. And what do they mean by better world? Well, national socialism is not enough anymore. Now we have to go full-blown global socialism. Forget the thou shalt not steal thing. It's only possible if wealth is shared. It's not your wealth. It's the collective wealth. So we're going to have to take it from you. And then we got to reduce inequality, not just within nations, right? Not just national socialism, but global socialism, global wealth redistribution. Now that all sounds cute until you realize this is exactly the same language that has been used by every mass murdering communist dictator of the last hundred years. Okay, Chairman Mao. Oh, we're just going to redistribute. Come on. It's just agricultural reform, right? Uh, same thing that Castro said. Same thing that Paul Pot said before he exterminated about a third of the population of his country. Okay, this is the slogan they use before they unleash hell. Uh, and then right in uh, Agenda 2030, they have 17 goals. Number four, your kids are going to be so brainwashed, they won't just submit to this. They will actively promote it. Okay, and they're telling you this. I, I pulled this video right off of their YouTube page. We achieve sustainable development that protects our planet and builds a more inclusive, equal, and peaceful world without education. We can't. Sustainable development begins with education. Begins Put with global education. education first. And not just any education. It's got to be global education first. So we'll come back to that. But first... I want to show you how good they are at this. Okay, They are masters now at manipulating children and changing the way they see things. So if I had told you in the early 1990s that within a generation we'd be having homosexual marriages, you would have laughed at me. You would have said I'm a kook, an extremist. You might have called the guys with little white lab coats to put me in a rubber room. That's crazy. right? Sodomy was still a crime across most of the United States. Early 90s, the Supreme Court didn't strike down sodomy laws until 2001. The idea of homosexual marriages was so far from people's thinking, it didn't even occur to normal people. And yet, they were preparing your children. Okay, I want, this is a video they showed in public school classrooms all across America. First grade, second grade, third grade kids saw it. And I want to show you a little clip from there so you can see how they prepared the children to change their attitudes. Um, let me tell you quickly the background. Today, the law says that um, if you're the same sex, two men and two women, you can't get married. It is against the law. And I thought that it might be kind of fun for us to sort of be pretend ju judges for a few minutes. What I'm going to give each of you is a sheet that just tells you that um, some people think that it's wrong for gays to get married, that it's not natural, and that it goes against what a family is. Other people think that the state should not decide these things, that it should just be up to two adults to decide what they want to do. What do you think the answer to these questions are? Should should gays be allowed to marry? Should they not? Yeah, so then lots of peer pressure, so all the kids feel like everybody else thinks homosexuals should get married. And, you know, this is not about homosexual marriage. I'm not concerned about what your opinion is. But the point is, they shifted the attitudes of these children. Did you hear? We're going to be pretend judges, children. Uh, and remember what I said, the formula, right? What does God say about marriage? It's a holy union. It's actually a representation of the relationship between Christ and his church. So what do they teach the kids? Oh, well, you know, there's just some people that they don't think it's natural. And there's other people who, you know, they think anybody who loves each other should be able to get married. So now we're here, right? Uh, the uh, drag queen story hour. Obviously, that's a guy with a dress and some demon horns, so you'd know where it came from. And they brag. They go into government school classrooms all over America. Here we have the teachers marching in the pride parade. Uh, they're doing uh, climate brainwashing. The globe's warming. It's our fault. This is the and next the consequences will be here. terrible. Children are frightened. I worry. My mom worries the water might rise and it might flood the whole town. We won't be able to survive for long. What are you most worried will happen? We'll all die. Are there some yes, people who children. say right, this, this is crazy. true? Yes. yes. Might they be right? No. no. How do you know they're not right? Well, because the earth is getting hotter. Where the teacher told us. Can't you see? And I know this looks like a doomsday cult. It's actually a public school in my state of Florida. You expect Jim Jones to just pop around the corner with some Kool-Aid, right? But I mean, look what they're doing here, guys. They're brainwashing our kids to believe that the gas that they exhale is a toxic pollution that's going to kill us all unless we pay the UN to save us. After educating the students 
of global warming is that they're given a letter for their families to sign and it's this is the congressman or woman Ah, so a letter for their congressman. So first you brainwash them, then you get them signing letters for their congressman. Isn't that cute how that works? Now, uh, this is all very calculated. This is very deliberate. Uh, you know, just for the record, uh, I, I've been to these UN climate summits for the last decade as a journalist. I interviewed uh, Trump's climate advisor, Dr. Will Happer. He said the earth is starving for CO2. Anybody who wants to reduce CO2 levels has no idea what they're talking about. Plants, he said, are designed to live in an atmosphere with four to five times as much as we have right now. So from a scientific perspective, this is absolutely absurd. But but from a totalitarian perspective, there's nothing you can do that doesn't involve emitting CO2. You can't even breathe. You can't sleep. You can't die without CO2 emissions. So if you accept the premise that you are a pollution factory and everything you do produces pollution, but you can absolve your carbon sins by paying money to the United Nations, well, what happens? See, I mean, we all, I think, mostly recognize that's absurd. But our little kindergarten children don't recognize that. Mom and dad said, listen to the teacher. And teacher said, carbon dioxide is bad and it's going to kill us. Right? So do the math. Connect the dots. Where is this going? Right? They're trying to create a totalitarian global system. Now, the schools have been doing this for a long time. Okay? Back in the early uh, uh, 1990s and even back into the late 80s under George H.W. Bush, they hired this lady here, Shirley McCoon, to start working on national standards. This was way before Common Core. This was before normal people knew we'd have national standards. And so she's working at the Department of Education. Uh, Bush convened a, an education summit. He brought all 50 state governors. And I want you to listen to what Shirley McCoon told these governors. Listen carefully. And fix up these schools and taking care of them. Rather than the issue of understanding that what we're into is a total restructuring of the society, what is happening in America today and what is happening in Kansas in the Great Plains is not simply uh, a chance situation in the usual winds of change. What it amounts to is a total transformation of our society. So the total transformation of our society. See, is that what we signed up for when we sent our kids to school? Apparently. Uh, now listen to the role of the schools in this fundamental total transformation. The other function of schools, which sounds paradoxical and yet in a sense is really not, is the fact that we have to prepare students not for today's society, but for a society that's 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. And so we have to anticipate what the future is and then move back and figure out what it is we need to do today. That's called anticipatory socialization or the social change function of school. The social change function of schools. How many parents do you think know about the social change function of the schools when they put little Johnny on the school bus? Probably not many. Right now, for more perspective on this lady, Shirley McCoon, uh, she is one of the authors, one of the co-authors of this book, The Light Shall Set You Free. You should read it. Uh, she claims to be in communication with these spiritual entities that she calls ascended masters that are giving her secret revelations about what you have to know to be able to enter the fifth dimension, the coming new age, which, by the way, will be mortally hostile to Christianity. Uh, and here's just a kind of a tip of the iceberg view of what this fundamental transformation looks like. Uh, one little boy decided he wanted to be transformed into a girl. Uh, the school had told him he might have been born in the wrong body, but if he could just take enough hormones and do some mutilation with a scalpel, uh, then everything would be OK. And then he'd be his true self. So, uh, mom, can I have a sex change? Uh, no, honey, that's crazy. Get on the bus, please. Uh, and, well, the other partner in this relationship, the public school, knew better than that old fashioned mom. And so they actually took this child to go have what they call a sex change at a medical facility. And it ended up in federal court. And uh, the court ruled that that was not a violation of the parental rights of this mother. True story. I mean, even if they had ruled it was a violation, what are you going to do? You can't reattach pieces, parts, right? Uh, so in California, I pulled this right off of the Department of Education's website. It's called a gender transition plan. And they ask the kids, what gender do you identify as? What name do you want to be called when you're at school? Do your parents know? Because if not, don't worry, we'll hide it from them. Uh, and, you know, do you need uh, puberty blockers, hormones, things like that? Because you know, we can help you get that stuff and your parents don't have to know. Uh, so I was giving a talk on this in, in a very rural conservative county in Florida. And some members of the school board were there. They said, Alex, Alex, that's here too. Okay. We have that same forum in our school district. Uh, then I was in Michigan just a few weeks ago telling some people, and they said, Alex, that's here in Michigan too. Guys, this is ubiquitous. Okay. 
uh, in five, uh, five-year-old children in California. They learn from this book, uh, Who Are You? The uh, Health Education Framework for the State. And they teach kids that there are infinite genders. So you can be agender, bigender, trigender, neutral, free spirit. Uh, this is from the National Education Association. They teamed up with the Human Rights Campaign, the uh, LGBT group that wants to shut down your church if you won't bow the knee to the golden idol of LGBTism. And look at what they sent to their members. Check this out. Hi, your name is Emma? Yes. Correct. And my name is Zine. What pronouns do you use? I use she, they, them. What pronouns do you use? I use they, them, and also just Z. And so instead of being a boy or a girl or something undefined or in the middle, I kind of like, just use my name. You know, my name is Zine. So if you just use Z instead of a pronoun, it's like more personalized and like less fitting into a binary. Yeah. Okay. Just for future reference, my pronouns are your royal majesty and supreme emperor. And don't you dare misgender me or we will have a problem. Okay. Um, so this is working, folks. It's working really well. Uh, this study came out of the University of California uh, at Los Angeles. They found that 27% of of California's children are now gender non-conforming. So boys who don't accept that they're boys, girls who don't accept that they're girls. 27%. This was a few years ago. Now, I, again, uh, uh, Jennifer mentioned, I grew up in eight countries on four continents with every kind of kid you could ever imagine, every background, every color, every creed, every everything. And I never met a boy who didn't understand he was a boy. I never met a girl who didn't understand she was a girl. And I, my guess is that's probably true for most of you as well. Uh, the word transgender wasn't even in the dictionary when I was growing up. And that wasn't that long ago. And yet now you're telling me 27% of California's kids, right? These are kids who are going to go on to inject themselves with testosterone and estrogen. Some of them will go on to mutilate their bodies with surgery. They're never going to have kids. They're never going to have families. At what point do we say enough of this? Do we wait until they got 50% of our kids or should we wait till 75%? At what point do we say, stop doing that? And you know, a lot of people in conservative states, they think, well, that doesn't affect me. You know, that's just California, the land of fruits and nuts. Uh, Folks, it's everywhere. I was in Utah, in Indiana, right? I was in Utah uh, some months ago, and uh, some of the uh, state school board members gave me this data. It was really interesting. Um, this is the prescription data for the state of Utah from doctors prescribing uh, cross-sex hormones and, and uh, puberty blockers and things like this. They had a 10,000% increase in the number of underage minor girls going through gender transitions in a period of five years. A 10,000% increase. Folks, it's everywhere. Uh, and it gets even crazier. They, you know, The final frontiers we never figured they'd cross. Pedophilia. Right? Uh, in California, they passed this LGBT Act. All the kids have to learn about uh, the history of the LGBT revolution. And as they go through the curriculum, I got a copy of their slideshow, uh, they get to ancient Greece and they just kind of casually throw it out there. Oh, in ancient Greece, grown men used to have relations with boys. No big deal. Uh, So this mom, the one who sent me this video is like, what? You're teaching my kids pedophilia? What's wrong with you? Okay, watch the video and watch how the assistant superintendent of curricula uh, responded to this abomination. the different sexual orientation, right? How dare you say that that pedophile can't run the Sunday school ministry? He's just got a different sexual orientation. Don't you know you can't discriminate against someone based on their sexual orientation? And we all recognize that's crazy. But what about these kids when they grow up? Huh? How dare you not hire the the pedophile to run the the, uh, elementary school, right? That's discrimination. Okay, here it is on the the classroom. Uh, The UN actually has global sex education standards. You should read them, have a barf bag handy. I I can't even tell you the things that they want to teach to five-year-olds. If somebody taught this to my 12-year-old, they would be in a world of trouble. But they want five-year-olds to understand masturbation. They want five-year-olds to understand physical responses to sexual stimuli. Why in the universe would a five-year-old need to know these things? Nine-year-olds need to be able to explain why you should be able to murder your babies with tax funding. Okay, we're talking little kids here are being taught this filth. And I know other people today will talk to you about Alfred Kinsey, so I won't spend um, my time going too deep into that. But this is the monster from right here in Indiana responsible for this perversion in the United States. They sexually tortured and raped and abused hundreds of little children. They kept meticulous data, and then they came to the absolutely insane conclusion that the children 
are enjoying it. They're sexual from birth. And so we have to get them into these sex ed programs the second we can get our hands on them. Uh, and that leads right into the fake science they're using, right? Uh, we won't talk about Common Core today, except uh, just briefly at the end. But the same people that brought you Common Core have national science standards. They call it the next generation science standards. And believe it or not, in 12 years, you'll never hear the term scientific method. Uh, what you will hear is that gender is a spectrum and that the gas that you exhale is a toxic pollution that's going to kill us all. You came from slime over billions of years that somehow turned into a monkey and there is no God. Those are the things you'll learn under the guise of science, never the scientific method. Why? Because if they knew the scientific method, they know that all of that was absurd. Okay, uh, They'll learn lots and lots of fake history. Uh, you've probably heard of the 1619 Project, right? America, the author of this monstrosity says, has evil and racism and oppression embedded in its DNA. Okay, And um, you know we all who recognize that sex change surgeries don't actually change your DNA recognize that the only way to get rid of your DNA is to die. So what is their objective? If this is in our DNA as America, there's nothing we can do. We can't pay any amount of reparations. We can't have any number of civil wars. We can't apologize enough to get that stain out of our DNA. The only answer is to kill the patient. And that's the objective, folks. The most popular history book in America today being used in government schools all across America, A People's History of the United States, written by an actual member of the Communist Party, Howard Zinn. And this takes me to critical race theory. Um, I call it crazy racist trash. I got that from my friend, uh, Reverend Stevie Kraft. But, uh, you know, I, and I, I say this to people and they think I'm just trying to be inflammatory. I'm not. But I'm really glad that critical race theory is in the public schools. Because America, you know, we're, we're driving over the cliff. We're asleep at the wheel. We've got the kids in the back, have no idea what they're doing. And suddenly crazy racist trash pops into the picture. And like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And so now we're thinking about hitting the brakes, right? Um, so that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And, you know, I, I don't know that, that yelling at the school board is necessarily the, the most effective strategy, but I'm encouraged that parents are finally getting a backbone. They're finally getting mad at this abuse of their children. So let me summarize this critical racist theory, the real objective here. You know, a lot of people get mad because they're teaching racism to the kids, and it's true, they are, but that's only secondary. They, they, race, the issue with the communists is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. So in China, under Chairman Mao, they divided people into red classes and black classes. The red classes were the good classes. That was the landless peasants, the workers, the communist revolutionaries, etc. Uh, the black classes, that was the bad ones, the oppressors, that was the landowners, the business owners, the Christians, the counter-revolutionaries, etc. And so they're teaching this to little children. And before long, I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but before long, you got blood running in the streets. You've got tens of millions of people being slaughtered. You're pulling down statues. You've got children turning their parents into the communist government, knowing that they're going to get a bullet in the back of their head because they're part of the oppressor classes, right? And so it looks a little bit different in America. You know, they can't really do the whole bourgeoisie proletariat thing to tell a, a, a poor American. He's making $50,000 a year. He's got great benefits, vacation, two cars in the driveway, 4,000 air conditioned square feet. You're oppressed. Really? I don't feel that oppressed. right? So that wasn't a viable strategy. So they had to come up with a different context for America. That's where they got critical race theory. And now they've added new things into it. right? So they'll tell the little kids whose ancestors came from Europe, you're an oppressor automatically because of your skin color. You don't have enough melanin. That makes you an oppressor. But you know who is oppressed is homosexuals and transgenders. So, you know, there's a way out of this. You know, you, if you just say you're non-binary, you can be part of the oppressed class. You don't have to be one of those bad, horrible oppressors. And so how many look, oh, well, okay, I'm, I'm transgender. I'm a homosexual or a bisexual or a trisexual or a pansexual or whatever, right? So the goal here, folks, is revolution. Okay, it's, it, it, yes, it's racist, but it, it's racist just as incidental, right? It's just a, a side effect. The real goal here is to divide the American people into warring camps, oppressor and oppressed, for the purpose of fomenting revolution. Jesus put it very clearly, said a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. In fact, it's even worse than that. He says a kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste, will be brought to desolation. So that's what they need. They can't have a united America dedicated to the principles in our founding documents. You got to get Americans warring with each other so that from the ashes, you can take control. And so what happens when parents get mad about this? You guys have probably seen this now. You're all domestic terrorists, okay? We're going to sick the FBI on you. How dare you express concerns about the garbage being taught to your children, right? Uh, and some of us say, well, you know, at least my kids are learning how to read, write, and do math. You know, I'll put up with the crazy racist trash and the climate and the transgender stuff. At least they're learning how to read, write, and do math. <laughs> no, they're not, right? Some of you know already. No, they're not. You don't have to believe me. Um, here's the government's own data. Less than one third of our children in government schools, I call them victims of government schools, are proficient in anything. 
Imagine in any other industry, imagine a, a cheeseburger shop that less than one third of the people who came in and ordered and bought a cheeseburger actually got a cheeseburger. Most, most of them got like a decomposing rodent on some moldy bread. Right? How long would that business last? And then imagine if they had the nerve to say, well, you know, if you just give us more money, you know, we'll go, we'll go in the back and see if we can maybe find a cheeseburger somewhere. Right? I mean, it's crazy. You'd throw that person in jail for good reason. And yet when the government schools do it, we say, oh, yes, master, here you go. Have more money. Right? It's absolutely crazy. Uh, here's the uh, Deputy Education Secretary. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, the NAEP, which is called America's Report Card, reports that two-thirds, get this, two-thirds of American eighth graders are not proficient in any core subject. There you go. They're not proficient in anything, folks. Nothing. They're not learning how to read. They're not learning how to write. They are going on field trips to mosques. Here's the uh, five pillars of Islam on a school board in Kansas. They're doing Buddhism in the classroom. They call it mindfulness education. They got them doing Hindu rituals, yoga, and other things. Literally, they're lighting incense and putting out little figurines with lots of arms and telling the kids to throw uh, flower petals at it and chant things that they don't understand. In North Carolina, we found out they were forcing the second grade kids to stand up in front of the class and apologize for their Christian privilege. Yes, Christians are part of the oppressor class, folks. Uh, in California, this is great, uh, the state board Board of Education voted unanimously in April. Governor just signed yesterday a bill making this mandatory for all victims of government schools in California, the new ethnic studies model curriculum. And as part of this, they have the children in elementary school chanting and praying to the pagan demonic deities of the ancient Aztec empire, the gods of cannibalism and war and human sacrifice. Okay, can you imagine? You can pray to demons, but don't you dare teach the kids, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. That would be separation of church and state violation. Okay, so how do they get parents to leave behind the value or kids to leave behind the values of their parents and their churches? It's very simple. They did it to me and it worked. Okay. It took me years to figure out what they had done. It was very clever. So what they told me, they call it values clarification. You're all on a ship and your ship is sinking and uh, 11 of you jump off into the life raft, but there's only space for 10. So now you've got a, a teacher who's 34 years old and uh, you don't want to throw the teacher out or you're in big trouble, right? You, big fat F for everybody. Uh, you got a, a lawyer, you've got a doctor who's, uh, you know, 43. You've got an engineer who's 57. Uh, who are you going to throw out? <laughs> what in the world do we need a lawyer for? No, but I mean, seriously, think about it for a minute. We don't have to kill anybody, folks. I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll swim alongside the raft for the first 30 minutes or first hour, and then we'll rotate. Okay. We don't have to kill somebody. Goodness gracious. But what happens in the minds of these kids? Well, you know, this one's more valuable. And, you know, I know mom and dad said thou shalt not murder. And I remember the pastor saying that. Didn't God say that? Yeah, but they must have never thought about this. They just must be stupid. They never considered this situation. What if you're in a life raft? Okay. So they don't know anything. Obviously, morality is subjective. It depends on the situation that you find yourself in, okay? And so in an instant, I mean, these people brag in one hour, they can undo everything parents did in 15 years. They are masters at this, folks. And you just shattered the worldview of these children. Uh, back even before I was born in the early 1980s, Reagan put together a commission. And I don't agree with all their findings. And you guys know government commissions. They usually use very staid language. Well, here they said that our very future as a nation and as a people is under threat by this abomination called an education system. They said if an unfriendly foreign power had done it, we would have viewed it as an act of war. And we should. Uh, and to understand the, the full significance of this, you need a little bit of background on the history. So we'll spend about five minutes on that. Now, Americans were at one time the best educated people on the planet, bar none. There wasn't even a close second. Uh, and this was true for centuries. Uh, in early America, John Adams wrote a letter to his friend, a native of America who can't read or write is as rare as a comet or an earthquake, right? Read the Federalist Papers. These were written for average Americans, shopkeepers, ranchers, merchants, okay? Um, we did a, a, this a National Literacy Survey, came out by a DuPont de Nemours in 1812, they said not more than four in a thousand young Americans are unable to write legibly, even neatly. And guess what? We didn't have any government schools. In fact, the idea that the government would educate our children would have sounded like the moon is made of cheese. It would have just been completely ludicrous to these people. Government's going to educate our kids? What? Where'd you get such a silly idea, right? Not from your Bible. Then along comes this guy, Robert Owen, not too far from here in the state of Indiana. He sets up a communist commune called New Harmony. And obviously he rejected God. He rejected the Bible. He rejected private property and family and all these other things. And he came up with this idea 
that the government should educate our kids. Uh, really the first person I can find since Plato to advocate a government-run education system. And Plato, of course, was a raging totalitarian. We need the philosopher kings to lord it over us for our own benefit, right? Uh, so obviously this commune failed very quickly, and he came to the conclusion that it was just because the government hadn't educated the kids to be good little collectivists. So he wrote these essays, and the Prussian ambassador ended up getting a hold of them, took them back to Prussia, and the Prussian dictator implemented these ideas there. First place we could find a government-run school system. And then... Robert Owen started what his friend and later became a whistleblower. He became a Christian. He met the Lord and he blew the whistle. Said they created a secret society to change public opinion and to get men elected to the legislatures who would support a government school system. Uh, this is the whistleblower, Orestes Brownson. He said the great object was to get rid of Christianity. The guy who came up with the idea that the government should run our schools had a plan to get rid of Christianity, and that was to get your kids in government schools. Uh, Horace Mann then brought this crazy system back from Prussia to the United States, started off in Massachusetts, traveled the country like an evangelist, preaching the good news of government education to save us. And um, you know, right away, the quackery started coming in, the whole word method of teaching reading, where they teach kids to memorize entire words as if the words themselves are symbols, rather than a collection of symbols, each one representing one or more sounds. Uh, obviously, it didn't last long. The schoolmasters in Boston at that time said, this is crazy. This is not going to work. Kids can't learn how to read this way. We're done, right? So we didn't hear about it for 50 years until John Dewey came along. Now, John Dewey didn't look to Prussia for his inspiration. He looked to the Soviet Union. He actually went to the Soviet Union. You should read the essays he wrote about what a wonderful utopia it was, how great it was that they were instilling a collectivistic mentality in the children. He wanted that to happen here. Uh, he actually wrote an essay about how we could dumb down young children. Uh, he couched it in, you know, we got to socialize them properly. But in the essay, we reprinted it in the appendix of the book, Crimes of the Educators, because it's so revealing, it said change must come gradually to force it unduly would compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. So he knew that parents would freak out teachers would freak out. And so he got a, a teaching post at Columbia University. They created a bunch of reading tools to dumb down the population. By 1955, it was obvious what had happened. Rudolph Flesch wrote a book, Why Johnny Can't Read. He said, the reason why Johnny can't read is because the teaching of reading all over the United States in all the schools and in all the textbooks is totally wrong. It flies in the face of all logic and common sense. So big scandal. Phonics was reintroduced into the schools. Now we can do the brain scans. There's a doctor in France who's been scanning the brains of children who've been exposed to this quackery. And you can actually see the physical damage that happens in the brains of these poor children. And so at this point, you're probably not surprised that under Common Core in kindergarten, the kids need to memorize sight words, just like Horace Mann. He must be smiling from the grave. And they make the parents complicit, right? They give them words that, the, that they have to practice, do uh, flashcards with their children. Uh, so I want to talk about John Dewey's religion for a minute. He was a very religious man. And I, I showed you the polling data earlier, okay? Uh, John Dewey's religion was humanism. He was one of the co-authors of the Humanist Manifesto. The very first tenet was religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Compare that with the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created, Okay, so he's telling you right off the bat, we reject all your silly God stuff. Uh, and even if you're not a Bible-believing Christian, and I think you should be, but even if you're not, there are really significant implications to this, right? Our founding fathers didn't think you had to be a Bible scholar to understand this. They said it's a self-evident truth that God created us. It's self-evident. It's not something to discuss. I mean, don't be ridiculous. Look around you, okay? It's so obvious. And what stems from this? God gave us rights, well, if you believe John Dewey's religion, you can't have rights. Don't be ridiculous. There's no God to give you rights. Come on, right? Uh, one of his cohorts, uh, this guy here, Charles Potter, uh, he wrote a book where he explained that the way we're going to spread this new religion from hell is by using the government school system. And it's actually not a new religion. If you think about it, this idea that we can become our own little gods and we can decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. We've heard that before, haven't we? Genesis 3.5. Oh, God just doesn't want you to do that because he knows you're going to be like God. You can decide for yourself what's right and wrong. Right? So uh, in 1962, the Supreme Court said you can't have prayer okay? because Congress shall make no law. It means the state of New York can't have prayer in school. 1963, no Bible in school. They said, again, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law, requires this. Now, at least one of the justices, he wrote the dissent in these cases, uh, understood exactly what was happening. He said, this refusal to permit religious exercises is thus seen not as the realization of a state of neutrality, but rather as the establishment of a religion of secularism or humanism, as John Dewey would have said. Okay, And it, I mean, it's just communism wrapped up as a religion. And the Supreme Court mandated it as our national religion. They forced us to pay taxes to spread this false religion to our children. They forced our children to go learn this false religion. Religion in public schools, and now it's going global, right? The very first head of UNESCO, 
Julian Huxley, you see his picture right there. He was actually the head of the British Humanist Association. And uh, not so fun fact, he was also the head of the British Eugenics Society. These weirdo uh, race mongers that thought some races are better than other races, the kind of like Hitler stuff, right? Uh, so that's the guy who ran the UN's education system right off the bat. Um, in 1990, they passed an agreement that all the kids need to learn the same garbage. In 2000, they said, we've got to change the attitudes, values, and behavior of these kids. Uh, here's the head of the UN explaining the real purpose education of education. Education must do more than produce individuals who can read, write, and count. It must nurture global citizens who can rise to... So global citizens, that's the purpose of education, right? It's got to include spirituality. It's got to um, be in every element of education. And that brings me back to Arne Duncan. He was very proud of his ties with UNESCO. He said it was his global partner. He bragged that they're turning your children into green global citizens. Here he is. Hi, I'm Arne Duncan, U.S. Secretary of Education. And we are so honored that the U.N. Secretary General has designated the United States as a champion country of the U.N. Global Education Firm. All right. Anyways, I've got a whole bunch right, of these clips, but in the interest of time, we'll skip them. So the UN also has what they call the World Core Curriculum. Um, the resemblance to Common Core is more than coincidental. So this was written by Robert Mueller, Assistant Secretary General of the UN. And he said these need to be taught in every school in the world. All the children of the world need to learn from this. And there's a very revealing statement in the teacher's manual. He says right in the front that the underlying philosophy upon which this is based will be found in the books of Alice Bailey by the Tibetan teacher Javal Kool. Uh, and that sounds cute until you realize that Alice Bailey was the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company. True story. Now they call it the Lucius Trust because it was just a little too obvious. Uh, this Tibetan teacher, Javal Kool, turns out he's not Tibetan. He's not a teacher. He's actually not even a human being. Uh, Alice Bailey claimed to be in communication with these spiritual entities she called Ascended Masters, and they gave her this secret wisdom so she could write her books. Well, if the Global Education Corps is based on her ramblings, we should see what is in there. I think I'm going to go over like three minutes. Is that okay? All right. Very good. Uh, so this is the book that she and her demons wrote about education. They said that world citizenship should be the goal of the enlightened with a world federation. A world government and a world brain. We got to fuse Marxism and neo scholasticism, and we got to do it using the chosen methods of John Dewey. Huh. Funny how that works. Now, what does this have to do with Common Core? Well, Bill Gates went over to UNESCO headquarters in 2004, signed an agreement with them to create global standards, global curricula, global teacher training programs, and global technological systems. Then he came back to America and he started pumping billions with a B into Common Core. Now, here's a video that the Common Core creators created to, se to sell you Common Core, to show you how great it was. Until Watch. now, it's been pretty hard to tell how well kids are competing in school and how well they're going to do when they get out of school. Is a girl in your neighborhood being taught as much as her friend over in the next one? Is a graduating senior in, say, St. Louis as prepared to get a job as the graduate in Shanghai? Shanghai. Well, it turns out the answer to both of these questions is no. Because for years, states have been setting different standards for what students should know and be able to do at each grade level. What we really need are clear goals. That's where the Common Core state standards come in. The standards are consistent from school to school. And they match up against international standards, too. They match up against now international standards, too. To so you got everyone. Seattle, Chicago, so Paris, and Shanghai. Their own same rules for with everybody. Same rules, Isn't that Everybody cute? can compete on the same kind of staircase. All right. So that's them saying. Right? It's not Alex Newman saying the Common Core lines up with international standards. That's them proudly announcing it to you. So we've reached the end. Now I'm going to give you a couple minutes of my opinion and then a couple minutes of God's opinion. You could throw my opinion right out the window. Doesn't matter. But listen to God's opinion. That's the important one. So we need to ask some obvious questions here. The first one is, can we reform this system? And I submit to you that the answer is obviously no. It's working pretty well, right? They're getting like 90% of our children, Christian children from Christian homes with married Christian parents are leaving their church by the time they're done with 12 years of government brainwashing. They can't read, they can't write, they can't do math, but they know all about climate change and gender and all the rest of it, right? It's working very, very well. So as I see it, we've got two options. We get to get the kids out or we prepare for that little new world order they were talking about. So parents, I tell you, uh, you know, if the school building is on fire and your children are inside, what do we do? Well, we sign a petition first. 
right? And then, then run for school board and then maybe lobby our legislators. And no, right? I mean, those things are fine, but first you rescue your children. Then you do those other things, okay? Uh, so, and honestly, a fire is really not a good analogy because a fire is only going to hurt your children physically. The schools are destroying your children physically, mentally, spiritually, academically, emotionally, name it, they're doing it, okay? So pastors, uh, priests, rabbis, you need to be sounding the alarm here. Really good news, what the enemy meant for evil, God is using for good. Millions of children and families have left this system over the last two years. Uh, when I started telling people to get their kids out of the school, I was like, well, that's kind of fringe. Well, Rush Limbaugh, three times before he died, said, parents, get your kids out of the schools. Franklin Graham, one of the top evangelical leaders in the world. Parents, you got to get your children out of these public schools. President Trump, we've got to protect our children from these failing government schools. So now we get to the important part. Um, God has a lot to say about education. If you go to Proverbs 22, 6, he says, who should be in charge of education, right? Caesar should train up the child in the way that he should go. And even when he's old, some of you are like, nah, <laughs> no, it, parents, you should train up the children in the way that they should go, right? Uh, in Deuteronomy, multiple references. You should be training your children when you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you wake, when you're walking down the way, when you're eating all the time, right? There's no time for Caesar to be training your children. Uh, you know, God doesn't lay out a total program of instruction, you know, you know, eight hours of history per week. I mean, none of that in the Bible, but the basics are there, right? In Proverbs 9, 10, God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 1, 7, God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the most basic element of an education. How much fear of the Lord are they teaching the kids in the public schools? None, obviously, right? Uh, and so that means our children have no knowledge. And what happens? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, Jesus gave us a very simple litmus test by which we can look at institutions and individuals. Whoever's not with me is against me. And I always say, open mic, anybody want to come make the argument that the schools are with Christ? I never, ever, ever get a taker because it's obvious they're not, right? That leaves one option. So um, we also, you know, we're, we were blessed to be born in a self-governing republic. We need to teach our children how to govern themselves. Uh, it is a picture of my family and me uh, homeschooling. That's what we do. Uh, great news. The number of homeschoolers has uh, increased by about 300% since COVID. We're now over 20% in the state of Florida. So praise God, uh, we're in good company. All these men here were primarily homeschooled. They built the greatest, freest, most prosperous country that had ever existed in human history. Homeschoolers are running circles around the victims of government school. If you don't know Freedom Project Academy, uh, you should find out about it. It's an online K through 12 school. Uh, Mary Black uh, works there. I am a teacher there. I'm actually their first teacher that was ever hired, and I'm still there. I love it. Uh, if you need some resources in the back, I've got copies of DVDs, some magazines and things if you want to spread this information to others. Uh, if you're not involved with Purple for Parents yet, please do so. Uh, wonderful organization doing incredibly important work. Uh, we started a new ministry just a couple of years ago called Public School exit. Our goal is to get every child out of the system. So if you need help, your church needs help, whatever, get in touch with us. That's what we're there for. Uh, we need to recognize that they're not happy about this. They're coming for us. They want to shut down homeschooling. They want to shut down private schools. These two geniuses are leading the charge to ban homeschooling in America. And believe me, I saw it happen Okay, in Sweden. Uh, the government banned homeschooling. They started kicking in people's doors, kidnapping children. They started going on airplanes trying to catch the families that were fleeing this madness. So it won't be here next year, but it'll be here soon enough. Uh, they're indoctrinating our kids. They're dumbing us down. I've got the book in the back if you want it. But at least we can defend our freedom with our guns. <laughs> right? uh, and the sad part is, guys, they don't need your guns. They've got your kids. Game over. Okay. If they get the kids, there's no coming back from that. So I want to leave you with just uh, one more verse from the Bible. Because this is obviously not just a political problem. It's not just an economic problem. It's not just an educational problem. It is a spiritual problem. And uh, the whole Bible is filled with references to this, but it's really nicely condensed in Ephesians 6.12. God says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? It's, it's not um, Alice Bailey. It's not George Soros. It's not Bill Gates. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Said really simply, Satan wants your kids. Nobody's going to be able to protect them except you, mom and dad. So uh, if we get busy on this, we can turn the tide. It's already happening. We've got the momentum behind us. The wind is in our sails. We can turn this mess around. We can save our country and our churches and our communities and our families, but we've got to act now. Come talk to me. I'll be here until 3.30. Thank you guys so much, and God bless you all. Well, thank you for sticking around to the end. That's all the time we have for today. Visit thenewamerican.com and publicschoolexit.com to learn more about rescuing our children. Also be sure to visit themindpolluters.com to see Alex in the new teaser for our upcoming documentary film, The Mind Polluters. Have a wonderfully blessed day. We'll talk to you again next week. 